This edition of the On The Record podcast is brought to you by Nepean Regional Security. Give Gina and the team a call for all your security needs, big or small. They are the best in the business when it comes to security in Western Sydney. Visit nepeanregionalsecurity.com.au or call 1300 Security. Hello everyone and welcome to the On The Record podcast presented by the Western Weekender and recorded at the studios of Vintage FM. I'm Troy Dodds and in this podcast series we'll be joined by special guests who all have such great stories to tell about Penrith and their role in its history. My guest today is Ben Fezcheck, who spent many years as the boss of Penrith Police and now dedicates much of his life to helping others through his work with Rotary. I really hope you enjoy our chat. Ben, welcome to the On The Record podcast. Thanks very much. Um, ben, where were you born and, um, and where? I was born in, uh, in Germany um, in 1948. Um, my parents uh, were of Ukrainian background and uh, found themselves in Germany during the war as uh, in forced labour camps. Right. So after the war, when the, uh, when the Americans liberated that part of Germany, my mother and father met and uh, they got married and uh, I was born. And the, the question was, what does one do after the war? Given that the uh, the Russians uh, wanted to repatriate all their people back to the USSR, Mum and Dad had no ideas of going back to that, so they sought to emigrate from Europe to somewhere, and uh, the somewhere became Australia. And uh, we landed in Melbourne in 1949, and later uh, settled in Penrith, and uh, the rest is history. Absolutely, and uh, I've always known you as Ben, but is that the name that appears on your birth certificate? No, it's not. It's Zenio, Z-E-N-I-O. Okay, and where did, why Ben? Uh, was that a reflection of the time? Or no, was no, it wasn't. It was uh, in my time at Penrith High School, uh, my history teacher then, uh, a chap named Harry Earp. Mm. On, uh, on our first day in his class, he uh, went through, through the different names and... Uh, and uh, he said, I'm going to call you Ben, and that was it, and it sort of stuck ever since. Well, there you go, okay. So, yeah, uh, lovely uh, man, a lovely fellow. All right. You mentioned your parents. Tell us a little bit more about them. I know your dad worked uh, on Warragamba Dam, the construction of Warragamba Dam, once they eventually settled in Penrith? Yeah, well, essentially, uh, before that, before we actually settled here, Mum and I uh, were in the, in the old uh, internment camp at Cowra, and we stayed there while Dad worked on the Warragamba Dam and lived in the barracks there. And every uh, four weeks or so, he would travel up to Cowra to be with us. And uh, eventually, he sought and obtained accommodation in Penrith on the site of what's now Good Guys on the corner of um, okay. Mulgara Road and, uh, and Bat Street. Bat Street. There, yeah. So we lived in the caravan there for a little while. Then uh, Dad built a, uh, a garage there, and, and we lived in that for a little while. And, and then down the track, he bought a, an acre of land down the road in Mulgawa Road, opposite where the master's site now is, or was. And the old story, you, you build a garage, um, lived in that for a while, and then build a house. Mm. So, of course, uh, as I understand it, uh, building materials at that time of in the 50s was fairly fairly hard to get, uh, so he did what he could with what he could get, and uh, the place is still there. Oh, it's still there? The, still the same there. Place? Okay. Yeah, m- Mum's not there now. She's uh, she's in her 94th year okay. and, and is in uh, 
one of the local uh, nursing homes. Okay, so your mum's 94. Your, your father actually passed away more than 40 years ago, 1976. That's right. Um, he was only 62. That's right. Uh, must have been a, a shock to lose him at, at such a young age. It was, it was. And uh, he died of a, um, a, um, a burst aorta, I suppose, would be the best way to describe mm. it. It was very quick. It was a shock, indeed, and uh, he was looking forward to seeing uh, my son, uh, who was born uh, a few months later. But uh, anyway, what can you do? You attended a few local schools, St Nicholas of Myris and Dom's, Penrith High. What kind of student was Ben Fezcheck? Uh, I'd say fairly mediocre, really, <laughs> but uh, but that was all good. I When I started school at St Nick's, I, I couldn't speak English, of course, so that was a bit difficult, but uh, I certainly got onto it fairly quickly and uh, invariably uh, taught mum and, and tried to teach dad, but dad was fairly hopeless on that, but <laughs> mum was good. And then, uh, of course, my siblings, uh, they were all born here. They sort of came up through the same school. Um, St Dom's, great school, um, extremely um, rigorous in its uh, academic subjects. Uh, everyone had to do Latin to, to start with. Um, maths 1 and 2, physics and chemistry um, very high standards discipline was very high as well they stood no nonsense um, everyone knew where they stood and I loved it but regrettably uh, my folks couldn't afford to keep sending me there given that there was five others in the mm. family and uh, so I went to the high school at Penrith and finished off the, uh, the leaving certificate there in 1965 which was the last year of the leaving um, yeah, that was great. It was a great school too. And was was police, which ended up being, of course, your uh, your very long career and distinguished career. Was that something that was of interest to you during high school, or did that come a little bit later? That came later. I um, when I left school, I I got a job with the uh, with the water board, um, and was studying accountancy. After two years of that. I couldn't see myself being an accountant for the rest of my working days, mm. and I had had an interest in in the police at that stage. And a couple of my uh, acquaintances from school were, in fact, police officers. So I took the huge step and uh, uh, sought uh, sought employment as a police officer. And. Those days, um, joining the police, what was it? What was it like? Uh, the going through the the process in the early days. Well, the process is uh, vastly different to what it is now. I mean, the re- the recruit arrangements were that you did uh, six weeks initial training, and all this occurred at the Redfern Academy. Okay. Then you went out into the field, uh, were posted to a to a division as it was then. Then you returned to the academy once every two weeks for what they called intermediate training, and then at the end of 10 months you did six weeks secondary training. So it was fairly basic mm. in terms of what uh, what it is today. Very different now. Obviously you're at Goulburn for, for I think it's well, 12 months and lot, go yeah. through that whole process. Absolutely. Yep. No, it was uh, very basic, but uh, it was good. You had a lot of different roles, obviously, through the police force, but you, you became a detective, worked for a detective as a detective for a long time, 25 years, yes. as I understand it. Um, obviously, people go through different wants and desires and, and roles that they may take within the police force. What, what was it about being a detective that you, you wanted to pursue? Well, 
if I can just go back to those early times, mm. uh, in terms of any sort of uh, any sort of investigations, criminal investigations, it was the detectives that did all of that. Mm. In fact, uh, attending a uh, a reported break and enter or something like that was a detective's job. It wasn't a job for the general duties. And I say that uh, that would apply in the metropolitan area. I know in the country where detectives might be a long way from a uh, particular uh, station, the, the local general duties police would do that. Mm. Uh, but certainly in the metropolitan area, that was the realm of the detectives. And, uh, and of course, coming with that was the added responsibility of uh, conducting the investigation and then putting a brief of evidence together and presenting that brief at, at, uh, at court. Uh, those opportunities just didn't exist in, as a general duties officer. So when I was at Warragamba Dam, I made a, a, a conscious decision to uh, to explore the uh, criminal investigation arena within the organisation, made the necessary applications and uh, went on from there. And, of course, um, you, you worked at Penrith and Blacktown, as you mentioned, uh, Warragamba Dam there and, and eventually in Springwood. But you were you were part of the investigation into the murder of Anita Cobby, one of um, the most infamous crimes in Australian history. Is it fair to say that that case moved you more than any other as a detective? Well, it was certainly uh, certainly different. Um, um, yeah, it was a terrible crime, and uh, it created a hell of a lot of fear in the in the community at Blacktown at the time. Um, the whole office was involved in it you know day and night we just wouldn't wouldn't give up mm. and uh, I remember clearly that when uh, when the arrests were made uh, there was this huge uh, sigh of relief so far as the uh, the local community were concerned and we had uh, droves of people coming across to see us at uh, at the station uh, expressing their gratitude for a um, for a, a resolution of that particular incident. And of course, it ended up becoming. I guess uh, there was a lot of public outcry. We've all seen the, the scenes at, at court and things like yes. that when um, when the uh, the accused murderers fronted court and and whatnot. Um, we we kind of don't see that as much these days, but it just shows how much it must have driven the public at the time. Absolutely, I remember um, uh, crowds gathering gathering at the front of the police station and. Uh, and all sorts of uh, hang, hangman nooses hanging off the mm. off the buildings, and all sorts of drama. And uh, yeah, um, it certainly created uh, a lot of fear in the in the local community at the at the time. There must be a great deal of satisfaction, not just in that case, but any case as a detective, when that big breakthrough finally finally happens. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, the the, the investigator or detective. Uh, speaks on behalf of the victim the victim can't say anything they're not there to uh to provide any any evidence other than perhaps things that come out forensically from a uh, post-mortem examination so it's um it's a great a great uh, what's the word i guess it's a sense of relief sometimes isn't it that it is. Um, it is you have that that breakthrough because there are as we know many cases that obviously go unsolved absolutely um, and uh I've got a few of those as well that, mm. that are sitting there in a cold case arena. That uh, do you ever this... think about those? Do you think about those that you left behind in terms of the I, cases that you left behind? I do, and in fact, um, in my uh, more recent years uh, prior to retirement, uh, I sat on a um, on a cold case panel with the uh, 
detective training arrangements or the senior detective training arrangements where they'd resurrect some of these old cases mm. and some of those happened the ones that I was involved with with a view to looking at uh, some uh, avenue that might uh, might arise to, uh, to to close it but uh, but they are they can be difficult I mean some of them are very very uh, easy to to resolve but but others um, difficult and uh, as, as we know from uh, from the things that are currently in the media it's also I guess a a really difficult thing at times because we've seen so many of these cases where it's quite obvious that police know potentially who who the person involved is, who the who the person who's committed the crime is. But you almost you know good police work involves you know almost going along, going with the flow of you know a grieving husband who may have committed the most awful of crimes. But you, you kind of have to be quite patient, I imagine, as a as a police officer and as a detective because you. You know, you need to build build a case. I guess it's not quite what we see on television. Yeah, you're quite right, and uh, of course we had that uh, double jeopardy rule. So if a person was uh, put on trial for a particular uh, crime and they were acquitted, uh, that was it. Mm. So obviously, you don't uh, go to that next step of putting a person before the court unless you have a reasonable prospect of conviction. Mm. You became the local area commander at Campbelltown LAC in 1998. Uh, what's it like being a, a commander? Uh, for those who don't know the terms, it's, you're essentially in charge of a particular LAC. I, I presume there's a great responsibility that, that you know comes across you um, once that title hits. Yeah, quite right. Uh, in my role prior to um, to that appointment at Campbelltown, I, I was uh, a detective inspector managing a group of detectives, which is a small group. Well, well trained, um, motivated. Going to a, 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 a another arena where you've got up to two hundred police of different um, um, different skills, I suppose. Be it highway patrol, be it general duties, be it traffic, be it detectives, mm. and you've got to manage all of that. So you really have to know a little bit about what they do and how they do it, and. Um, but more importantly, um, understanding what the community issues are uh, and working with various uh, groups within the community in order to resolve uh, some of the issues that uh, that arise. Is it at that level, and I know you might not be able to talk about um, this in great detail, but is it at that level when the political side starts to come in as well? Um, obviously, as a, as a police officer, you might be often oblivious to the fact that there's a police minister that you're answering to, there's a state government that oversees everything. Is, is it at that level that you start to get involved in that side of things as well? Uh, not to, to a great extent, uh, but certainly uh, the, the political arrangements do play a role, absolutely. Mm. Um, and you have to be um, aware of, uh, of all of that. In, in terms of what you do and how you do it. There's no doubt about that. While you're at Campbelltown, um, you experience what you've described as the worst day of your career. Um, yes. January 14, 2001. Yes. Um, take us through what happened on that day. Uh, on that day, um, a senior constable, Jim Affleck, who was then attached to the Highway Patrol, um, went to the um, F F5 freeway or... Hume, the Hume, Hume Highway, yeah. yeah, with a view to um, deploying um, uh, road spikes in order to stop a an, uh, fleeing offender in a stolen vehicle. Um, 
in fact, the uh, the spikes, the road spike arrangements, they only just come into play. So it was learnt that uh, this particular vehicle was heading uh, north on the um, Hume Highway. Jim went out to, um, to to have a go at deploying these stop sticks, as uh, they were known then. And uh, in doing so, he was uh, he was uh, hit by this uh, speeding vehicle. Some estimated the speed was between 160 and 180 kilometres an hour. That uh, took his life. Um, the uh, the offender was uh, subsequently arrested and charged with uh, with murder. Um, I th- believe that um, he's now out. Right. Okay. Um, a sad day. Uh, a sad day for everyone, particularly the, the fellows at uh, at Campbelltown. And uh, Jim was a, um, as I say, a highway patrolman, a very professional officer, who was proud of his his work, proud of his uh, his vehicle. His vehicle was uh, absolutely magnificent, and he he had all those those great values about uh, the organisation and uh, you know. Doing, doing the work to the best of his ability, and uh, great shame. And uh, they uh, commemorate his death each year on that day at uh, at Campbelltown Police Station. And there's a bridge, I think, named in his honour there, as well. There's yeah. a bridge, mm. and there's also a, a nice garden at the front of the police station, and uh, in front of which we have the the annual uh, ceremony where uh, members of the family and uh, colleagues, former colleagues, uh, turn up, and we remember. His effort for that uh, on that fateful day is that something you still attend on a Absolutely. regular basis? Yeah, I think I might have missed one when I was overseas, but I, I go every year and uh, will continue to do so whenever I can. It, it sticks with you, I guess, and it's also a reminder that that it is a very dangerous job. It is, um, and and often, I guess, even when you're in it, you, you might forget that as as years go by and, and incidents don't happen. But things like that drive at home of how dangerous it is. Absolutely, and. Uh, that's one of the unique features of, of the uh, of the job is that you really only know the time you start and where you might be starting work, but you never know what's going to happen or, or what time you're going to finish and uh, what time you're going to get home. Mm. So that's that's I think that makes it an attractive uh, attractive proposition as opposed to going to an office and look, working in front of a computer all day, which is you know very regimented and uh, fairly boring, I would say. You moved to Penrith to be the the local area commander in two thousand and two. You stayed there until your retirement. Was it you'd been to, to Penrith Police a few times during your career? But was it particularly special to be returning to Penrith, given you have you have such an affinity with the area? Absolutely. I, you know, when I uh, became aware that the uh, position was uh, was going to be advertised um, as a lateral, in my case, uh, I had no hesitation in. Uh, and applying for it, and uh, as luck had it, uh, I was accepted, uh, and then took up the role. And uh, fantastic, fantastic uh, thing for me. How had Penrith changed? I mean, even though you'd been around Penrith a lot, and you'd, you were living in the mountains, still are. But how had Penrith changed? If you reflect back from the nineteen, you know, fifties and sixties when you were growing up here to to two thousand and two when you took that role. Well, I guess my earliest memories of Penrith would probably be around nineteen fifty three. The town was a, a small town, um, very much um, dairy dairy oriented area with dairies along the river, and of course you had the milk factory where where it is now. 
and, and market gardens. Uh, everyone knew everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, a very safe place. Um, you could wander around um, any time of the day or night and feel 100% safe. And it was just a great, a great town. I loved it and still do, albeit that it's uh, a totally different place to what, uh, what it was then. I guess there's um, there's some good advantages to progress, but you you miss those days in some ways a lot of the time. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, you, you try and park a car in Penrith now, <laughs> it, it, impossible. What what about um, the, the police nature of Penrith? Because it it changed even from when you would have been there um, in, in the seventies as a detective. It had changed the landscape of Penrith had changed as far as the police is concerned as well. It had become a a major station in the network. Well, it did, and uh, it was in the um, in the, in the days gone by, known as Twenty Three Division, Number Twenty Three Division, and that used to encompass uh, St Mary's, Warragamba Dam, as well as Penrith itself, and then um, then you had to, to the west of us Thirty uh, Six Division, which, which is the mountains, and then uh, Blacktown to the to the east, and then Windsor Richmond to the north, um, and then Camden to the south. So. It was fairly uh, fairly small. Uh, there was not a lot of drama happening in the sense that, um, um, say, on night work, for argument's sake, in the seventies there was uh, three three people on night work in Penrith: a sergeant mm-hmm. and two constables. The sergeant was in the in the truck with a with a constable, and the other constable was in the station managing the radio and the telephone and all the rest of it. So it was fairly uh, fairly tame. Mm. Are you able to switch off when you're in that role? Is it is it more difficult when you're you know the commander to you know go home at night and not think about it? I mean, obviously you no. almost impossible, would it not be? No, it, it was. I mean, I mean, my typical day at Penrith as when I was commander was twelve hours. Mm-hmm. I'd come on about seven. We have our uh, our meeting about eight thirty from all the sections, and I was always there at six o'clock for the changeover to the night shift. Okay, uh, and I'd go home after that, but. It's, it's difficult to switch off. There's so much, so much going on, so many things that had to be managed and sorted. Um, but we got there. How much did you also notice the change community-wise in, in respect for police? Because it it's gone through different roller coaster periods over the years. Um, I think the vast majority of us still respect the great work that the police do and have the respect for the uniform but but it has changed hasn't it There's, absolutely yeah absolutely i remember walking down high street on afternoon shift as a detective and uh and the the people who i would call hoodlums mm. would get out of our way so if they saw us coming they'd, they'd dive for cover and uh he'd walk into a hotel and everyone and you'd see people diving for cover and running out the back door yeah. that doesn't happen today in fact uh you know, it's it's quite common for some of these uh, recalcitrants to uh, to actually challenge the police and do crazy things. Uh, so it has changed. Um, Would it be fair to say that being a police officer through your period of career, like you'd, you'd rather do it there than become a police officer today? I mean, it's a uh, is it is it a tougher job today, or is it uh, is it's, just different? It's a, it's it's totally different, and it's ex- extremely demanding. Um, you know, from from the from the training and uh, all the technological things that that one has to be across, um, the rules of engagement, if I can use that word, mm. uh, they're, they're, it's all different. I mean, uh, yeah, 
It's just totally different. August 19, 2013, um, your last day on the job. Yes. Um, why did you leave and, and how did you come to that decision? I was, I turned 65 and uh, I thought about things and, uh, you know, uh, how, am I, how long am I going to be around and uh, perhaps I should uh, think about smelling the roses for a few years. So having arrived at 65 years, uh, I thought it was time to, uh, to go and, um, and that's what I did. What was it like the first day you woke up and you were no longer the, uh, the commander there at Penrith? It was difficult. It was difficult because clearly you're part of everything in the in the town, and uh, you go from from that, from being a, I suppose, uh, integral part of the, the arrangements to to nothing, and it certainly is difficult. Mm. Uh, so, I guess the uh, the tip would be that to keep yourself occupied and uh, interested in other things, and which I've done with uh, with my work in Rotary. But uh, it was difficult, without doubt. Do you still? Is there still that buzz, that feeling when you see either a major story on TV, on the radio, or a few cars whiz by? Um, Absolutely, is it still there? Absolutely. They say you can uh, take the you can take the person out of the policing role, but you never take the policeman out of a mm. out of a person. That's it's pretty right. You mentioned Rotary there. Um, that's something you've been doing since since way back in 1991. It wasn't something that you just discovered uh, into retirement. No. Um, so, and most people, I guess, tend to do that. It's they find it after you know they're looking for something to do after after work. Why back in 1991, and how did you get involved with Rotary? Well, I got involved uh, through a, a fellow that I knew who who was uh, the president of the club at the time, and he asked me to come along to a meeting, and I went. To a few meetings, and uh, I liked what I saw in the sense of uh, the things they did for for the community, both uh, domestically and internationally. And I thought, well, this is this is a pretty good outfit, and uh, they do good work. So I d- became a member, and after a little while, um, I became the treasurer, and I'm still the treasurer. Um, and you know, it, it, it's a great organisation. It does wonderful things. Um, for argument's sake, the, um, the the polio eradication program, which is an international thing, um, that is absolutely fantastic, and they've just about got polio under control mm. right across the world. There were there were there were a couple of pockets around Pakistan and uh, Afghanistan where the volunteers that were going in to deliver the uh, the vaccine were being murdered by those uh, Taliban or right. And, and that was a shame, and uh, but I think they they uh, scaled back the operations here until the safety issues could be resolved, and I think that's happened. So the uh, incidents of polio in the world have, have, have reduced uh, absolutely significantly, and uh, there is um, great hope that it'll it'll totally uh, the, the world will be totally rid of polio in, in the not too distant future. One of the challenges that organisations like Rotary or Lions or those type of um, organisations face is, is younger members. Absolutely. Um, is that still a, an issue for Rotary? Absolutely. Absolutely huge issue. And, um, you know, how, do, how does one attract younger members to an organisation that, one, you, you have to give up your time and pay money to belong? Mm. Uh, it's very difficult. And I know um, 
the younger generations are time poor and, uh, and of course, financially uh, challenged, given the cost of things these days. I understand all of that. Um, however, uh, despite the best of efforts, uh, it's di- very difficult to attract younger members, which we would love, mm. given that they've, they've got good ideas and uh, energetic and all the rest of it. But uh, it's, it's becoming a challenge, and uh, not only in, in, in the local clubs, but uh, all over the place. What do you get out of Rotary? What's the, the the thing that really gets you? I mean, I imagine at times during your policing career, it might have been a great opportunity to get your mind off the the day to day of the police force. But what about now? Oh yeah, but look, it it, it comes back to uh, you know the sort of self satisfaction in the sense that you've done something, um, you know, to help the less fortunate. I mean, years ago, the club was more involved in um, in doing things like building things and uh, doing you know wheelchair ramps or um, we I remember we did a rotunda at the at the at the maternity unit at, um, outside the maternity unit at Nepean where we built this thing all timber and we actually cut bits of wood and put it all up under the supervision of a member who was a tradesman those kind of things were very good these days we don't do so much of that hands-on stuff but we do things uh, to raise funds to uh, support a myriad of, uh, of worthy causes around the place. Absolutely, yeah. Penrith Rotary and all the Rotary clubs do a do a fantastic job. Um, you met your wife Gina in 1962. Yep, Penrith High School, but yep. it wasn't necessarily love at first sight. There was a little bit of a journey to uh, to eventually get together. Yeah, well, Gina left uh, left school at uh, at the end of uh, third year and went to secretarial school. I continued on doing the leaving, and then we she later. Entered the uh, nursing career up at Nepean, and we ran into one another down the log cabin one night, and it went from there. And you were married in 1970. That's right. And um, you moved to to Mount Riverview 1972. That's right. You're still there. Still there. And in the same house. Same house. So what is it about that that area and oh, and, ma- and the mountains that you love? It, it's magic. It's a magic place uh, where we are. It's very quiet, um, yet uh, close to Penrith, close to the city. In, in relative terms, it's just a great little neighbourhood, and uh, we've seen the the kids come and go there. The kids grow up, and we've got now another generation starting in the immediate neighbourhood. And uh, but we just love the area, and uh, we we don't want to move. And what about for Gina during your, your time as a police officer? Did uh, was it is it difficult for for her? Um, Absolutely, you know, it is always for the partners. I think that they say goodbye in the morning and. You don't know what your day is going to look like, let alone they don't know. Very difficult, but uh, she's an extremely understanding lady, and uh, that was particularly so when uh, when I was on the homicide squad and you'd be deployed to some far-flung place in the state and um, you mightn't come home three or four weeks after. So, mm. And she had to run the, run the place, manage the child. So my, my hat goes off to, to recognise her for, uh, for her great job. Also, in your personal life, interests that, that come up, we're not surprised to hear about fishing and, and, and aviation even, um, yeah. but, but what about calligraphy? Where does, um, where does that come into the uh, Well, the mix? it was interesting. I, uh, I did a, an undergraduate course uh, in the 80s, and when that, uh, when that was completed, uh, one of my cohorts suggested that we go to, the, go to law school and, and study law and and that was at, uh, I think, the University of New South Wales, which is a bloody long way from uh, mm. from Mount Riverview. 
So I said, no, I won't do that. And somehow I got had this interest in... I've always been uh, interested in uh, writing and stuff like that. And I did a course at the local TAFE here at uh, Warrington in a course called Show Card and Ticket Writing, a uh, two-year course. And uh, as it turned out, I, uh, I topped the years, both years, and was offered a, a role as, um, as a teacher, part-time teacher, which I accepted and did for a few years and then that sort of branched out into calligraphy so I learned that and ended up teaching that at the uh, at the community college here in Penrith and the PN Community College and that was interesting I don't do it anymore <laughs> I've still got the gear but I just don't have time to uh, to actually play yeah okay but it's uh it is interesting what um what you find during life that you uh yes. that you like and calligraphy was was one of those um what about the future for Penrith? What do you um, what do you, when you see Penrith today? Um, what are your thoughts, and what are your thoughts on where it'll head into the future? When you think about way back in in the nineteen fifties and those early memories? Yeah, well, I don't know where the future's going. Clearly, it's it's going to be congested. Mm. Looking at all the uh, all the high rise that's happening around the around the place, um, the traffic, the parking. Um, and I think that's going to continue from what I can understand. So it's going to be a vastly different city to what it was uh, back then. Mm. Yeah, very much so. And I guess uh, challenging for the police in town as well, even oh, more yes. challenging. Oh, yeah. yes, there's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, obviously there's some sort of strategic planning happening to look at these um, expanses in uh, in population and what have you and uh, with a view to creating the necessary infrastructure to manage all of that. Last question, and the last question we'll ask everyone on this series: um, What would you like to be remembered for? Oh, I guess being being passionate about the job, um, and in that, um, passionate about uh, victims' rights. Um, victims have got to be looked after, and uh, and particularly victims who are who are murdered. We are their advocates, as it were, and. Uh, Yep, that's basically it. Very passionate. Um, yep. Just on that, that's that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because we we have that debate now constantly over there's parole decisions that come up and whatnot. Do you think that the you know how frustrating is it for for police um, to see when someone gets released or they go through a court process and you know, because we hear constantly that that argument that you know the, the police do get frustrated when they see some of those judicial results. Well, they do, and uh, what's got to be remembered is that we have a a system that's known as a criminal justice system, which is a civilized approach to uh, righting wrongs. However, um, what sometimes is forgotten is is the perpetrators need to be punished. Um, and uh, they've got to be punished, and, and some will argue that the mere fact of them being in jail is, is punishment enough. But uh, uh, but you know the retribution side of the equation is is, is also important. And mm. uh, if a victim can't get satisfaction, um, it just it just makes you think about how good the system is. And now I understand there are political implications for things like building jails and funding the jails and all the rest of it but uh, at the end of the day it's got to be a balance somewhere where the uh, where the punishment uh, doled out uh, is, is, is uh, consistent with the, with the crime committed 
Um, it, that's my view, and it is frustrating. It is frustrating when uh, when some of these sentences are handed down, which clearly clearly don't, in some cases, reflect uh, the gravity of the of the crime committed. Mm, absolutely. Well, it is a fascinating story, and I think the the most interesting thing about your story is how often. Penrith becomes the uh, the forefront of it during different times of your career and obviously through your work at Rotary. Uh, ben, thank you very much for joining us and um, all the best for the future. You're most welcome. There he is, Ben Fezcheck, the former local area commander at Penrith Police. A fascinating story and indeed a great history in the Penrith area. Today's podcast was recorded at the studios of Vintage FM in Penrith. The podcast today brought to you by Nepean Regional Security. Don't hesitate to give them a call on 1300 Security for a friendly chat or to book an appointment in regards to all of your security needs. You can also visit nepeanregionalsecurity.com.au. On the Record is brought to you by the Western Weekender newspaper, Penrith's leading local newspaper. You can visit us online at westernweekender.com.au and don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. We'll see you next time on the On the Record podcast series.